continuing through our series in Revelation, uh, chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. Uh, We're in chapter 2, beginning at verse 12 this morning, the letter to the church at Pergamum. And here is what Jesus told John to write to the church. To the angel of the church at Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. As we've gone through these letters, we looked first at the letter to the church at Ephesus. And Ephesus had lost their first love. And so, they had lost that love and feeling, right? (laughs) To the church at Sardis, we saw that they were struggling, they were suffering, but with the promises of God, they were assured that they would survive. So they could say, I will survive. And here we see that there's a church that's trying to be faithful, but they're tempted away from the faith, tempted by the fruit of another. I have four more. (laughs) Now first, a little bit about Pergamum. Pergamum was not a seaside city like the other two. It sat up on a hill about 10 miles from the sea. Uh, But it was a very, very powerful city. It was the capital of the region. It was well known as a place people would go to because there were temples to various Greek gods in this city. And people would come and and worship those gods. In fact, there was a huge temple to Zeus that was shaped like a throne. And that may be where um, what Jesus is referring to when he says the throne of Satan is in your town. And then there were other uh, temples surrounding. There was a temple to Dionysius, who is the the goddess of wine. There was the temple to Athena, the god of wisdom and art. There was, of course, the big temple to Zeus, the god of war and power. And then there was another place within uh, Pergamum uh, to Asclepius. Asclepius. Don't ask me to say that again the same way. But um, that's a god of healing. So there was a a healing place in Pergamum. It was a place people would come to. It was a place of power. It was a place that was very well known. And the people there had good reason, good earthly reason at least, to be proud of where they lived. And of course, through all these letters, we find that they are called to believe in 
their government, so much so that the phrase they were to say was, Caesar is Lord. And we find here the, the mention of the one who died. The mention of Antipas. Antipas was one who most likely would not say Caesar is Lord. He was one who knew that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other. So he refused to say that and history tells us that he was put into a large copper kettle with fire underneath until he died. Faithful. Faithful to the end. So what else is good at Pergamum? They had this, this guy um, who was willing to suffer and die. They, as a church, were sort of carried on that tradition of being faithful, and, and Jesus commends them for it. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in those days. You remained faithful even in a city so much influenced by the power of Satan that I say Jesus, that Satan lives there. You're faithful to my name. And of course, the name Jesus means Savior, Messiah, the one who ultimately is King of all. And yet, Satan lives there. Some of the commentators pointed out, we often think of Satan living in hell. But Scripture says that Satan will be put into hell at the last judgment, but now roams the earth, as Peter said, seeking whom he may devour. There is a spiritual battle alive in this world. And if we do not acknowledge that spiritual battle, we are going to be ill-equipped to live as faithful Christians in the world. And so Jesus says, Satan lives in your city, therefore, of course, beware, be careful, be, make sure that you reorient your thinking, reorient your actions according to the Word of God. So they acknowledge the name Jesus as their Savior and as their King, their Messiah. But what is wrong in Pergamum? Remember the, the letters start out with a, a salutation using a name of Jesus. Here it is, the one who holds the sharp double-edged sword. And then there is a description usually of what the church is doing right and a description usually of what the church is doing wrong. And here we find, unfortunately for Pergamum, if you measure their faithfulness or their goodness by words, and a lot more words saying what's wrong than the words used to say what's right. And what is wrong is two basic things. One is that they follow the teachings of Balaam. You know what they are, right? <laughs> that was the blankest stare I've seen in a long time. Well, at least for more than one person at a time. Balaam, the account of Balaam is in the Old Testament in Numbers, chapters 22 through 24. He was, you might know Balaam's um, donkey uh, from Scripture. Balaam's donkey actually spoke, uh, and that was God moving through this donkey. And um, the, the situation was that Balaam was, was asked to curse the Israelites, but instead when he got to them, he blessed them. But then when he went back to Balak, 
he had ideas that undermined them. So they thought they were being blessed, but at the same time, these ideas were, go ahead and worship the idols. Go ahead and do the things that the people of this land do. Sleep with the Moabite women. Enter into the sexual immorality that surrounds the land. And what happened was that they indeed thought they were in, good, in a good place, but actually they were being destroyed by the lies that were told them and their consequent actions based on those lies. The Nicolaitans. There's no Old Testament or New Testament um, explanation of the Nicolaitans, just a few places here in, in Revelation that tell us that they're not good. Uh, most people believe that the Nicolaitans were sort of a type of Gnostic, and Paul, and throughout the letters, is, is arguing against the Gnostic thought. And Gnostic thought is fairly comprehensive. It's, there's a lot to it, but the main thing is that Gnostics believed, yes, there is Jesus, you can believe in Jesus, and that's a good thing, but there's more to know. There's more to know that, you know, the really enlightened people have figured out, and guess who the really enlightened people were? The Gnostics. They said, there, there's more to this. And the, another very important characteristic of the Gnostics was that they believed in a, a mind or a body-spirit separation. In other words, the spiritual world and the material world are two very different things. So if you believe that, you can say, well, I believe God with my spirit. I'm, I'm a spiritual person. Ever heard that before? But my body's a whole different thing. My body isn't spiritual, so I can do whatever I want with my body, but with my spirit, I can honor Jesus. But then, it doesn't, the two don't connect. And this causes people to do what the teachings of Balaam taught them to do, to go ahead and, and sin, thinking they're okay, thinking, well, it doesn't really matter because I still believe right. And what does this look like today? It looks like compromise with the world. Are there ways that we as Christians or as that the church compromises with the world's thinking? One of the sermons I listened to, the person who was preaching it was an Oprah fan. Well, he watched Oprah, appreciated some of what Oprah said, but he took exception to one thing that Oprah had said in one of her shows, which personally, I think, sort of characterizes Oprah's thought, and that was a, a strong Christian was being interviewed by Oprah, and she asked, well, do you believe that Christianity is truth? And the person said, yes, I do. And she, Oprah, waited a bit and then said, well, I guess as long as you don't believe that it's the only truth. That philosophy permeates 
our world. It permeates popular culture that, yes, we can be Christians and that's good and that's fine for us and let other people believe what they want, which, you know, there's truth in that. You have to let people believe what they want, but you don't have to believe that all those other beliefs are truth. Truth has been revealed by God, our Creator, through this Word and through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the incarnate Word of God. So our truth has to come from God, not from ourselves. And yet, so many people believe that truth is individual, it it starts with me. And, oh man, I've gotten in so much trouble with this, this advice. I say to people, don't follow your heart. Oh, the reactions I've gotten, the, the, the faces that fall when I say this. Disney tells me to follow my heart. Um, um, I don't want to say it because I get in trouble every time. Hallmark tells me to follow my heart. I mean, it's not just those. It's everywhere. Everywhere you look, everywhere you hear in our culture, the mantra is, if you want to find out what's right, follow your heart. Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. I'll tell you, I've followed my heart a few times, and it has led me astray. Hitler was following his heart. He believed from his internal compass that what he was doing was right. Serial killers are following their hearts. And you're going to say to them, oh, I don't know if I should do another killing spree or not. Oh, just follow your heart. But it all comes from this basic presupposition that our hearts are where truth lies. So what we're going to do is just live out our own truth. You hear that one a lot too, don't you? Live your truth. But the fact of the matter is that God, our creator, is the source of all truth and it is only God's truth that we can truly, truly trust. And yet, it is always tempting. It was tempting to the church at Pergamum, and it's tempting to us to find other truths. In fact, what happened at Pergamum was they said, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, my Savior. But you know, Athena is the god of wisdom, so I'm going to ask Athena about wisdom If I have a battle to fight, I'm going to ask Zeus for help with that. If I need healing, I'm going to go to that person whose name I pronounced correctly the first time. (laughs) And they do a little of both. And I wonder, do we do that? Do we trust in God for some parts of life and not others? And I wonder, what might it be that we trust God for and then don't trust God for other parts of our lives? And I think what happens so, so often is that we are willing to trust God for eternity, but not for today. 
We are willing to trust God for our eternal destiny, but not for what makes life work here and now. You hear things like, well, the Bible was written so long ago, how can it apply to my life now? You hear things like, well, after all, it is 2019, we think differently now. And I've said before, uh, it's interesting to think, isn't it, about how we sort of scorn some ideas from 20 years ago, 50 years ago, even more so 100 years ago, and we wonder, oh yeah, we got it all right. We think we have this culture, this time in history, we have it all figured out, so trust now. And yet, 50 years from now, 20 years from now, the way things, the way things are changing, two years from now, we'll look back at what we think today and think, how foolish, how silly. So people, they try to be Christians and believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, mostly for their eternal destiny, but also believe in the, the truth claims of our culture and say, well, I believe this for my, my here and now. I, I, I know that, that God is my provider, but if, if it means that I'll make a little more money if I cheat just a little bit, if I disregard God's law just in this way or that way, well, money's important too, you know. I have to live, I have to feed my kids, whatever it might be. So we believe here, but also trust here. We believe in Christ for what we think he can do for us, but believe our culture for what we believe it can do for us. That's the very same issue that the church at Pergamum had. And what is the, how do you, how do you avoid this? The way to avoid this is to trust in God. Trust in God's word. And that means that we stop trusting in the things of culture that are against God's word. That means that we stop trusting ourselves. Because isn't it true that if we're trusting God for eternity, we want eternal life, so I'll trust God for that, but I also want more money, so I'll trust these rules for that. I'll trust the the culture's thoughts about this. I want something, whatever it might be, and in Pergamum it was sexual sin, I want something, so I'm going to get it, and the culture says it's okay, so I'm going to do that, even though God says no. But, you know, I'm still good with God because one day I'll have eternal life, and right now I want this life. And God says, that's that's not how to remain faithful to me. I had uh, one of my youth, when I was a youth pastor, thought he was being so encouraging to me one day when he said, you know, I will never stop being a Christian. I said, good. He said, because I'm way too stubborn to change. (laughs) And if you knew him, that was true. But I thought, is that what being a Christian is? Just being stubborn? Just believing because you want to believe? And, And or believing, as I said, for eternal life, but not because you have an ongoing relationship with God, not because you're willing to sacrifice your own agendas for what God says. 
One preacher said this, and I think it is a powerful statement worth hearing. He said, true freedom, which is found in relationship with God, begins with a commitment to doubt yourself. You are not going to hear that many other places. Because what you will hear is trust yourself. But what God says is doubt yourself. Because we are fallen creatures. We are creatures created in the image of God, made for fellowship with God, but we're fallen, we're broken. We cannot trust ourselves to know what is right and good. We cannot trust ourselves to be faithful completely by following our own hearts. But we follow after God, no matter what God calls us to do, which usually ends up with a really good life. But for Antipas, it led to death. And just like at the church at Sardis and the church at Pergamum, and maybe one day here, we may be called to be faithful even to the point of death. But death does not separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So, trust him in all things. And what do we get? We get the hidden manna. Now, manna was what God gave the Israelites in the desert. It was their nourishment. What, God, what Jesus Christ gives to us is eternal nourishment, all that we need. What God gives to us is a white stone with a new name written on it, a new identity. And that's what we are called to as Christians, is to have a new identity, an identity anchored in Christ, but not just with Christ as the, the place from which we branch out into worldly things, but the anchor, the, the, the stone on which we build our entire lives, making decisions based in what God says in every avenue of life. And what the name here, I have to refer to that too, the name that is given to Jesus or the attribute that is uh, mentioned about Jesus in, verse, in the first verses, that he's the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Scripture tells us that the sword separates truth from falsehood. In him there is truth. And also the sword gives us an image of battle. And Jesus Christ will win the battle. Does it not make sense to anchor our lives in the one who will ultimately win? Paul said this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let us pray. We are so grateful, Lord God, for the promises you have given us of eternal life. 
for the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us, and we hold on to those things. But we confess that even while we're holding on to that, we often hold on to promises that do not come from you. We hold on to priorities that do not come from you. And if we're honest with you and with ourselves, this 100% trust in you is not easy for us. Because for many, we've, we've found a way, we think, to be faithful to you and still get what we, what we want from this world. And sometimes that means unfaithful to parts of your word, but we still believe in Jesus as our Savior and we look forward to when he returns and makes everything right. And this idea of trusting you with everything, this idea of being willing to sacrifice our own agendas for you, that's a hard one. And we're not all there. But I pray that you would help us to renew our minds, to renew our spirits, to renew our hearts, that we would be able to follow our hearts only because our hearts are so completely attuned to yours. Strengthen us for this, we pray. We also lift up to you those who are struggling. We know that you are the, the healer. And however you determine to heal, we pray that your healing presence would be with people. And most of all, we pray that you would heal their spirits, their souls, their selves. Because that is what we were created for, to be recreated, to have relationship with you. New identities, identities based in your promises and your truth. Help us to live into those identities with every decision we make, every priority we keep. Because your will is good. Your will is pleasing and your will is perfect. Help us to will what you will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.